0: See good people turn their heads each Power so sad to, to the All right. Hey everybody, this is Barry. We're back. I haven't done one of these podcasts in uh, way too long. And I thought uh, this would be as good a time as any. I was asked not too long ago to write a story or column, whatever you want to call it, for our Chatter Magazine about some of my fest- favorite festival moments. i uh, got to be honest, this was a basically an idea I stole from our sports editor, at the Times Free Press, Stephen Hargis, about some of his. He's done a couple of them. Um, memories over his 30 year career and I think he did a spring fling memories one as well not too long ago and it occurred to me that I've had the opportunity to cover some pretty cool musical events over the years uh, particularly festivals uh, especially Riverbend and Bonnaroo so I wrote this article and um, I could have you know could have filled the whole magazine easily Uh, but these are some of them And uh, the first one that I started off with, I just find um, fascinating for so many reasons. I mean, it's a good story, uh, but (laughs) the fact that it's a 30-something-year-old story that has some new elements to it, I just find uh, pretty interesting. But one of my early, early memories of sort of... Realizing how cool a festival could be and how there are special moments. Was it Riverbend? I want to say it's around 85, 86. Um, if, I was, uh, if I was on top of my game, I would look it up for sure. But my friend John Selman, uh, who we were roommates, we grew up together. Um, roommates in college, grew up together in elementary and high school, played baseball together. We still talk regularly. But anyway, anyway Riverbend was fairly new at that time, three, four years old. And he said, there's a band, Jason and the Scorchers, that we got to go see. These guys are great. He was, he was way ahead of the curve on the whole y'all country, alt country thing. And um, we went. And as is typical for Riverbend, it rained. And uh, Jason and his band was set up on Riverfront Parkway, one of those smaller stages, probably would have been like a Bud Light. Um stage and it started raining and i don't remember i remember the crowd being small i could be wrong but that's part of the story because years later now um i still hear from people who say that was one of their favorite shows and here's why so it started raining and jason and i want to say his guitar player um sat down at the front of the stage with their acoustic guitars and kept playing. And a crowd stick stuck around and we were thrilled to be there. And as often happens in cases like that, uh, you know, the band and the audience become instant uh, best friends. Um, it was terrific. But the other thing that happened was one of the uh, stage crew, trying to be helpful, grabbed a broomstick and pushed the water off of the top of the tarp, which directed it. Right on top of Jason and the guitar player <laughs> who basically shook their heads, you know, uh, and then turned their guitars over to dump the water out of the uh, acoustic hole in the front. I mean, it's an image I'll never forget. So it, it has come up many, many times over the years. Um, had several people independently out of nowhere say that was one of their favorite moments ever as it was for me, including probably four or five months ago, I'm in uh, Allison Gerber's office. She's the editor at the Times Free Press. Somehow River Band comes up. I'm sure they were going through changes and postponing, so it was probably back in, uh, no, it was before March. But in any case, um, probably the announcement was made. But in any case, she, she just out of nowhere says that her husband, uh, Jimmy, um that was one of his favorite shows and she Allison has lived all over the world I, i'm pretty sure she lived at some point in africa um but jimmy's a dalton guy uh but that was it just really stunned me that you know what is this 30 uh, something years um later that you know my boss her husband mentions that as one of his favorite shows and again it came out of nowhere i didn't i don't even remember why it came up so that was funny enough and then um not long ago uh Ben Benton who is one of our region reporters and a a really really good reporter um somehow Riverbend came up he was on his way out the door and out of nowhere he says did you did you ever see the J.D. Souther show and I'm like I don't remember that one he says yeah it rained and they dumped water and i was like wait you mean uh, jason and the scorchers he says yeah yeah he says uh, that was my buddy that dumped the water on him <laughs> it's um a guy named randy ledford ben i think they went to high school together but can you imagine i mean what are the chances uh, but that's part of me part of it is chattanooga that's part of our big small town that's part of riverbend that's part of what I love about having done this job for so long is that these sort of stories and the connections, uh, you don't always see them coming, um, but they're always there. And then uh, Bonnaroo, I think I've explained to you before how Bonnaroo, what it means to me. Um, I, I'll try to be quick. So I, I got up on a what? Thursday morning in 2002, went to work and kept hearing all this chatter about this horrible traffic jam up on uh, I 24 near Manchester. Basically, the traffic was backed up both ways to Nashville and to Chattanooga. And uh, our editor, editor at the time, Tom Griscom, said, grab me and Tim Barber and said, Get in a car, you're going. Now, we had heard. That this thing called Bonnaroo was coming, and I'd seen the lineup. It was very jam band heavy, Fish, uh, I think, widespread. Not my cup of tea. Uh, the idea of being out in a field—I mean, just everything about it sounded wrong, unappealing. And now you've thrown in standing room. Trying these people have been on the freeway for hours, 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 hours. Um, so that was my. That was what I envisioned, that Tim and I were going to go sit in traffic to get a picture of traffic and then come back. And we walked in. We drove right up, walked in. They checked us in. They were as nice as they could be. They escorted us inside. And I remember seeing uh, some kids. I say kids. I mean, I was 40s. They were, you know, early 20s, whatever. Sitting under a shade tree with an inflatable bong. Uh, and I thought well this is this is a little different uh, headspace. and we walked around and everyone was so nice and it was so cool. We hung out as long as we could. We got back we rented a room at the holiday inn there just because Tim needed to work and he needed Wi-Fi and he needed electricity and he needed air conditioning and uh, we both recognized that this was a pretty cool event. and I remember going home that night telling my wife, I wish I was going back. And I, I honestly wish I would have, um, but I didn't. And then so from that day on, we decided to cover it, and the paper covered it. And we had, you know, 20-something-year-olds who loved to camp and were into it. And so for three years, uh, they went. I mean, I set everything up and did all of that, but they went because I didn't own, own a tent, didn't own a sleeping bag. I mean, it just was not in my world. And then in uh, 07, uh, the bosses decided we couldn't keep sending hourly employees, so they just they <laughs> basically volunteered me uh, to start going. And I can't even tell you how panicked I was for six months. Um, I read everything. I didn't know what to bring. I mean, I would have I would have brought the entire uh, Sportsman's Warehouse if I could have. Um, it's funny it's laughable now because we forget there's a walmart a block away from wherever you are um but to me it felt like i was going away you know forever to the moon um but anyway since then it has become my favorite thing my favorite week of the entire year without a doubt Uh, i do a podcast called the what podcast with brad steiner We've had some amazing guests. We had Ed O'Brien. If if I have to tell you who Ed O'Brien is, you won't be impressed. Um we've had attorneys, we've had Ashley Caps, co founder of the event. We've had other people from AC Entertainment, Ted Heinig and the guys who uh actually booked the acts. That was an amazing show. Unbelievable opportunities. The things I have seen are incredible. And all that is to set up uh, obviously that uh Some of the more amazing things that I've been able to do are Bonnaroo-related. And one of them, probably the highlight of... I had a pretty good year. Um, Well, this was in thirteen. Paul McCartney was up at Bonnaroo, and I'll come back to that. But just this past two years, we had uh, Brian Wilson. We had Steve Martin and Martin Short. Uh, We've had Graham Nash here in Chattanooga lately. Um... Alice Cooper, all those within a couple of um, months of each other, and all of them would have been on my list of people that I would uh, want to talk to, want to do an interview with, and also on my list of people that I didn't think would happen, and they all did. So, pretty incredible, but in 2013, Bonnaroo booked Paul McCartney. Now, I'm a huge Beatle fan. Paul McCartney is... Top, 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 top of the list. No question about it. And um, so just to be able to see him was huge. And the way Bonnaroo works, uh, I'm there by myself. I'm the reporter and the photographer. And the big acts, the headliners each night, and some of the second line headliners, um, everyone else is a photographer as long as you're credentialed and, and all of that. You can, you can take pictures for the first three songs. The big boys, they limit, and you've got to be approved and pre-approved, and there's a whole system, and sometimes it used to happen before the event and before the festival started, but here of late, it's sort of day of, and I'm thinking there's no way, Um, you know, there's just no way, and so I think I sat down at my campsite, opened my laptop to check my email, which is how they let us know, about three o'clock, 330 something like that and it says you've been approved to to shoot paul mccartney please pick up your credentials by 315 well i didn't even bother closing the laptop locking it in the car any of that stuff i just took off on a dead run ran up out of breath said i'm sorry i'm late and they said well you're not the only one don't worry and they you know you sign in and they give you a little little pass and um i mean i can't even tell you how excited that was now, most of the shows that are done there, there's a what's called a pit area. It's, it's that seven, eight feet, I guess, between the fencing and the first line of the crowd and then the stage. And for most of the shows, that's where we go. That's where the big speakers are. There's big, heavy, muscle-bound football players uh, from MTSU and UTC and all the area colleges. They work security during the event. And, you know, sometimes it's really relaxed, and then sometimes uh, it's pretty intense. You know, you've got three songs, you're going to blah, blah, blah. Well, this one, they weren't going to let us up front. McCartney had a whole different stage set up. We were going to be back at the soundboard, which is a couple hundred yards, 100, 150 yards from the stage. And that was, I didn't care. I didn't care. Um... That's where we were going to be. So I get in line, and it's me and guy from Rolling Stone and Spin and a couple other really cool places. The big, the big boys, and then here's Chattanooga Times Free Press. I mean, I think there was eight of us, and they march us through this crowd, and it is shoulder to shoulder. And I'll, I'll never forget, I as I turned my little pathway, Ashley Caps was in front of me, uh, Governor Bill Haslam was in front of me. Um, and his wife, so, you know, kind of gives you an idea that this was a big deal. Not that I needed anybody to tell me, but unbelievably packed. And then for, they put me in this, uh, (laughs) it's basically a small aisleway sectioning off between sections. And I knew my big head was right in front of this poor woman's, you know, she thought she had a great seat, probably paid who knows what. It was VIP. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, ten minutes before the show, here's uh, my big head. And I could feel her just staring. But nothing I could do. And the uh, show started, and I just start popping off pictures. I'm taking anything and everything I can get. And um, at some point, I guess about the second song, she taps me on the shoulder and gives me a big, please sit down. And I just remember t- turning around and saying, No. And turned back around and kept shooting. And we, you know, I knew I had three songs, so we did our three songs. And as I was walking out, I turned and I said, "Ma'am, I'm so sorry. I knew I was leaving. I had to get what I could get." And she said, "I, I, I think her husband had finally kind of settled her down. She apologized, but uh, I got uh, it's still it's on my screensaver right now. One of my favorite all-time pictures um, that I'll ever get. But the other thing about it, and the reason that this Concert. Well, so that all that was great. It was McCartney. The show was incredible. It, it to this day is. Uh, if anybody was there, it is their favorite Bonnaroo moment, uh, without a doubt. McCartney showed up. You know, the man's been doing this how long? So, but it sure felt like he he felt like he had something to prove. That it was a a moment for him to um, remind. The world, especially the young people, that uh, he was pretty good then. He's pretty good now. Band was incredible. It was amazing. But what happened after that was some of my campmates, Mike Doer, uh, Brad Steiner, his wife Hillary. Uh, we all sort of just managed, just floated back to the campsite, and it was it was one of those. Um, you know, when people have been through something big, and I'm not saying like a, you know, a tragic event, I don't want to go there, but, uh, when they've been through something, you just sit and you, you remember, you share, and we did that for a good while afterwards, and then we all woke up the next morning and started again, and, uh, it was, it was that, uh, memorable, um, Mike and I, we we talk about it still. Brad, who would confess at the time to not being the biggest McCartney fan or biggest Beatles fan, has two of the great stories uh, uh, ever. He happened to be there and happened to see uh, a young guy drop to a knee and propose to his girlfriend, fiance, now fiancé, wife, um, just as... I don't remember exactly what the song that was playing, but not long after Live and Let Die started. So as he's, you know, she's hugging his neck, fireworks are going exploding. I mean, what a moment. Um, Brad, will tell you, it brought tears to his eye. Um, Mike remembers seeing, you know, a young kid, eight, nine, ten years old, with his grandfather singing Hey Jude, um, along with 80 something thousand people. Uh, 100,000, it was so packed. Um, and then Brad also, he remembers walking back to camp that night and seeing a, a guy from here who's a big-time music fan, festival-goer, and Brad said, what do you think? And I said, I I, I can't speak. I'm I'm numb. I'm processing. I just can't. It was literally like that. I'm not overstating it. It's uh, pretty amazing. I had the opportunity the next morning, um, reached out to... Ashley Caps, again, the co-founder of Bonnaroo, uh, through Ken Weinstein, uh, who now is a friend, but then was just the guy who shepherded all the media types. So I just reached out and said, I'd love to talk to Ashley, get a quote, because that's such a big deal. Well, Ken arranged it that Ashley met me in the, the media area for about an hour. Um, and I don't know if I've ever told that, but uh, that was not what I expected. Not what I was asking for. I was hoping for five minutes and a you know pretty good quote or two. But he brought his big cup of coffee and sat and gave me all the time I wanted, uh, which I, to this day means more than I'll ever be able to um, return. That that moment meant a lot to me from both of them. But um, to s- he had the same experience. It was it was a it was a similar you know this guy has seen who knows I mean this guy co-founded Bonnaroo he's seen him he's seen a thing or two but that concert was uh at least then was was one of his more memorable moments and then I mentioned in the article going back to Riverbend they're completely different festivals uh Bonnaroo is a four day or five day four nights depending on how you do it camping experience you're immersed in it you're there there's nowhere else to go. Uh, it's phenomenal. And then Riverbend is a city festival. So you show up at seven or eight at night in your home by midnight. Um, they're different, unfairly. Uh, they've been compared. Uh, I tried to avoid it for many years, um, that, but that's a whole nother topic. But many of the same Terrific acts that I've seen at Bonnaroo. I've seen at Riverbend. I mean, I've seen James Brown. I've seen Lady Smith, Black Bombaza. um, On and on and on. Uh, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, which was a decent show, but sort of the beginning of the end for me at Riverbend because of the stage there. But amazing opportunities to see acts that you would never see anywhere else. Um, and, And same with Bonnaroo. You get to see you know a hundred acts in in one weekend, uh, which makes it pretty incredible but um the other sort of story that I shared in the article uh that meant so much to me well let me let me say this first. part of what I love about the the whole festival environment is j- just what I said you get to see so many acts in one place, there's the community aspect of it, obviously. There is the discovery access of it, and that's so in 90, 2000, uh, 80 and 90 especially. I was covering just about every concert that came to the Tivoli Memorial or Arena, and to be quite honest, they were becoming pretty homogenous, didn't matter where which event uh they they had done away with festival seating which meant everybody had a seat so it was like going to church you were sitting on your hands you know you weren't there's no mosh pits there was no getting down front and all that stuff and it it really took a lot of life out of it and it was all an insurance thing but in any case so they were all it, it was it sounds like complaining it beats digging a ditch right i understand that but It was just not as much fun. And then all of a sudden, Bonnaroo happens. And it was such a slap in the face, eye-opening experience for me and and a lot of people. And I I will contend this till the end. That it really reinvigorated live music especially. It created this whole discovery um, aspect where suddenly it became more important and more cool to find new bands than to be a fan of, you know, what was popular on the radio. And that's no insignificant thing. I give, I give Bonnaroo and, and since then a lot of festivals that credit. Um, my Morning Jacket is probably my best example. No idea who they were prior. Uh, watched about two hours of a four-hour set in the rain and fell in love and have been a huge fan ever since. Um Bahamas is another one that I just wandered up on and um become a huge listen to Bahamas and his music all the time now because of because of seeing him on a Sunday at Bonnaroo. Just amazing uh the, the things like that. The um one of the more unusual <laughs> memories, I was talking about this just yesterday with uh, Mike Dewar. Uh, Mike, Mike has booked shows here first at the Sandbar and then Rhythm and Brews and now at Songbirds. Um, he's hes one of my campmates. I've known him for many years and always respected him, but having spent time now with him at Bonnaroo and since, uh, we've become really good friends. And the starting point, I guess, really, the turning point from when we went from, you know, just professional acquaintances to uh, friends and comrades and co-conspirators and conspirators and whatever you want to call it was. They have press conferences, these panel discussions in the media area at Bonnaroo. And I know this is inside baseball stuff and not everyone gets to do it, but whatever it's my show but they had one that same year i think it was the mccartney year and no it was 2011 two two years before unbelievable uh listen (laughs) listen to this lineup that on the panel that day was ben cone cohen from ben and jerry's uh ice cream richie foray and steven stills of buffalo springfield daniel lanois who's a producer who did um, U2 and several, several other people. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who had was part of a, a video a documentary project that year, and so was there. And I remember turning around and looking at Mike, whose eyes were about as big as uh, saucer plates, and he was like, can you believe we're in the same room with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? I was a Celtics fan, so I still had a little bit of attitude. But just seeing, and he and I talked about this yesterday, seeing the look on his face sort of snapped me out of my uh, dumbness. And I started taking pictures and, and really considering where I was and what was happening and who I was around. And... The the best moment at the time... Now the best moment is just the fact that it was there and I was there. But at the time, it, it ended and um, Landon to Everybody was shaking hands, doing whatever. And Daniel said, wait, wait, before we go, I have a question. And he looked at Richie and he said, um, i got to ask. For what it's worth, that's that's the best you could come up with for a title? And everybody laughed. And very quickly, Richie Furet said... Well, it's better than there's a man with a gun over there, which huge laughs, but uh, what a moment, right? And I found that picture not too long ago. And those guys, uh, I mean, you're talking about Steven Steele's and Richie Ferre, I don't care who you are, but those guys helped invent rock and roll, helped invent music. Kareem Abdul Jabbar. I'm gonna argue probably one of the top five, maybe top ten, top ten, maybe top five iconic figures uh, of our generation, of our lifetime, and to and you know Ben and Jerry. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Unbelievable, unbelievable experience, and, and I feel so lucky to have seen it. John Prine last year did his last live performance at Bonnaroo. Not a huge crowd but I couldn't, I'm so thrilled that I was there. Uh, he had um, Brandy Carlisle come out and sing with him. Amazing, but the final one that I want to sort of share because I don't know, if I said, uh, okay, you're going to go to Bonnaroo and you're going to see a show that's so powerful you're going to cry, um, I don't know what most people, you'd probably say, yeah, okay, I'm crying because I'm seeing a favorite act or whatever, I'm so emotional, I'm happy, whatever. Probably not that surprising. I don't cry a lot, but on this particular day, not only did I cry, but I cried for three consecutive shows, and so did, again, I was with Mike Dewar, uh, Chrissy Mintz was with, was with us, uh, for a couple of them, several of our other Camp Nut Butter Bandmates, or Campmates were there, and, uh, but the day started, we went a little afternoon, probably a 1, one fifteen show, a band called Davey, who is one that we had discovered during our Bonner roulette segment of our What Podcast, uh, which, by the way, you should check out at thewhatpodcast.com. We liked Davey, and we went, and obviously it's 1 o'clock, it's Manchester, it's June, it's 4 million degrees, and people are just recovering from the night before. But the emotion and the response between audience and that band was so much fun to watch. Uh, I, I won't lie and say there was tears, but there were some big, big smiles uh, from both sides. They were so happy to be there. And their smiles just kept getting bigger and bigger and broader and broader. And the crowd got bigger and bigger. It was terrific. And we left there well, just a couple hundred yards. Didn't have to go far at all. Uh, to another uh, Bon roulette discovery of uh, a, a duo, a band, the Warren Treaty with Michael and Tanya Trotter, and we had arranged to interview them uh, for the podcast, which we did. To be honest, uh, partly because we were interested, partly because we were figuring out things out, and partly because it gave us something to do. So it was, it was a priority, but. W- the way it worked out, I, I we couldn't have planned it. And anyway, we went, and I absolutely love Michael and Tanya Trotter. It was like going to church. They are so powerful. I've never seen an act stand side shoulder to shoulder at a keyboard, and I got the opportunity to ask them later about that. And uh, they both looked at me and said, "We I never really thought about it. We just like each other so much, love each other. We want to be close. It, but it's a powerful thing. And Michael is a two-time Iraqi war veteran with PTSD. And about, you know, 80% into the show, he stopped and started telling people his story. And they always would have people hug and meet your neighbor and say, tell your neighbor you love them. And uh, it's, you're talking about, I don't know, three, 4,000 people, uh, just tears streaming down. He, he, he told a story of a, a fellow veteran who had been raped and she committed suicide. Um, and he, he thought she was on the mend. Uh, it was just an unbelievably powerful show. And, The tears just uh, flowed, and we thought, well, that'll never be, you know. And they ended up meeting with Brad and I. We did an interview and hugs all around, and they were just beautiful people. They are beautiful people. We communicate a bit ever since. And we went from there to Mavis Staples, which was high, high, high on my list of people that I wanted to see anytime, anytime, anywhere. And we wander over for that, and she introduces, um, she starts talking about Freedom Highway and talks about being there back in the 60s when the marches and the civil rights and pop, her dad, and this song. And I was just, again, overwhelmed uh, by the history, the history that this woman has seen, been a part of influenced, it was over overwhelming, so again, more tears, again, I'm with Mike and Chrissy and uh, Denson Lee, and we think, well, this can't get much better, and I'd, I'd have to look at the schedule, there had to have been a time lapse, but it sure felt like we just went from one to the other, and I know we did, actually, we went to the bigger stage, and Niall Rogers uh, of Chic um, was, was set to perform, and I remember we got our seats and the backup singer for Mavis Staples uh comes running by us uh to get a seat. You know, it was that kind of that kind of moment and uh I think I had the the presence of mind to stop her for a second and tell her what a wonderful show it was and she was like, you know, thank you, but she was ready to see Niall. And this guy, um <laughs> He, you know, he says, do you mind if I play a couple of the songs that I've been a part of with some other people and most of them went to number one and it's David Bowie, Let's Dance, it's Madonna and Daft Punk and it's unbelievable. And again, just the history that, that's coming out. And then, and I don't know, I didn't know Niall his, Niall's history that much, but um, he started saying that not that long ago, a year, maybe a year and a half uh doctor told him that he had cancer and that it didn't look good that it was the kind that uh, most people don't recover from and then he announced that uh, he'd not not that much long ago prior gotten word that he was cancer free and he had everybody hold up their cell phones or their their uh cigarette lighters um again just a <laughs> so so for three consecutive shows is my point there were there were real tears uh, real raw emotion and unbelievable. And when it was all over, we the four of us looked at each other, and I think Mike said, uh, I'm going back to camp. I got nothing. I don't care who's next. It, it can't top this. So um, that's what we did. We just went on back. So uh, those are some of my memories. There's so many more. I mean, uh, Jared and Kristen Coulter from Repeat Repeat agreed to come to our camp and and do an interview for one of our podcasts. They're now good friends. Uh, Brad is especially, he talks to them regularly. Uh, Those are the kind of things that you just, you can't count on. You can't bank on the guys that are in our camp. For the most part, um, I would see once a year for a week and then never communicate again. Many of them now I see more regularly, but it's been a standing thing for 15 years now. And we're not alone. This podcast that we started, uh, the What Podcast, was a whim. It was a quick conversation at lunch one day three years ago, three and a half years ago. We thought we would do for three months, and now we are three and a half years later. We've uh, thousands of people listen. Uh, We're friendly with a lot of them that we all we've interviewed many of them, and it's all the same experience, that this, this event, this festival, um, is not just something we look forward to, like a Christmas or a holiday, it's a year-round thing because of the attitude, the, uh, radiate positivity, um, it's real, it's it's a thing, so, um, I guess my point is, is, if you're at all on the fence, you, you wonder, um, Try it. Give a festival a chance. I like Bonnaroo because it's an immersive experience, to be honest. The city festivals, to me, the idea of, uh... If I have the decision to make as to whether to leave an air-conditioned hotel room to go see a band that I don't really know much about, or I'm sitting in a hot, sweaty camp uh, where I'm already there and it's just a couple hundred yards away, I'm more likely to go see that act. And, uh with rare exception, have I ever regretted it. So anyway, uh, if you're still listening, I appreciate it. And I'm going to do a couple more of these sort of um, walk down memory lane things here with people or with Barry. I need to get back on on top of doing that. So all right, you guys have a great day and thank you so much.